How you doing? Nice to meet you. Yeah, very nice to meet you too. I've been a big fan of your work over the years. And uh, yeah, this is a great opportunity. Thank you for having me. No problem. Um, let's start with telling us about your um, your father's book. I've heard of your father's book. I've never read it. Well, um, yeah, my father's book was the international best-selling novel that started the global Illuminati resistance in 1971. And this book was very highly pushed and spread through the John Birch Society before it got taken over by outside forces. And to this day, this book has sold around 20 million copies. And to this day, my father's book that he wrote with Gary Allen is still the best-selling book in the world with the words Illuminati or New World Order in them, because basically it was the first book to bring to the public's attention of this plan for global government and for this new world order. And tell us the title again. None Dare Call It Conspiracy. This is the book that you see every morning on the American Journal, on the bookshelf with their uh, graphic backdrop. And this is the book that Alex Jones claims woke him up when he was a teenager. And this is basically the book that pretty much gave the world the knowledge that there is an agenda afoot with these people behind the scenes and they're going for this global government called the New World Order. So I'm very proud of my father's work. Yeah, I'm sure you are because you... Um... You basically followed in his footsteps. You emailed me and you told me that you uh, went on to infiltrate Freemasonry, which I imagine must must have been inspired from your father's work. This is something I've heard many people suggest. Um, in the past twenty years, I've been following the stuff. I've I thought of, I've thought about doing it myself, but I never did. But I've had uh, several friends of mine suggest. Uh, you know, saying, why don't we join Freemasons and, and just see for ourselves? So this is what you emailed me about. I find uh, that's all I know so far. And um, I'm excited to hear about this adventure of yours. So your father's book was in 1971. Uh, how old were you when he wrote that book? Um, I wasn't alive yet when he wrote that okay. book. I was born in 1982. And when I was younger, um, I saw it uh, firsthand my father write his third book, which is my personal favorite, called The Greening. And The Greening is basically another prophetic book about the global plan to use environmentalism for a global communist uh, government. And it's my personal favorite because out of the three books my father wrote, it was the third book that he actually linked Bible prophecy with the research that he was writing about. So that was my personal favorite because he linked a lot of uh, Bible scripture from the King James to drive further his point of what he was trying to prove. And the information in the third book, The Green, is very um, astounding to say the least because he gives the full um, information and proof of how they are using environmentalism for their ultimate plan for a global government and he also states in this book the several patents that the Rockefeller Foundation has to suppress these technologies that can actually work in this clean energy um, solution. That does but sound they, very interesting. Yeah, they won't release these patents and these technologies 
because it's much more profitable to do what they're doing now. And it's well, just really interesting how they are really suppressing a lot of technology and the patents are out there for everyone to see and how the battery technology is out there to power, you know, full blown airplanes if they wanted to, if they really want to do this clean energy initiative, all they have to do is just release these technologies, but the Rockefeller foundation won't because it's not as profitable. That does sound interesting. Um, and, you know, you don't even have to speculate because one of the things I always thought about was, for example, everything was being done with hemp back in the day before the before big oil or before oil. You know, there was hemp medicine, hemp food, um, hemp fuel. Uh, Henry Ford was about to release a fleet of hemp cars made out of hemp plastic. There's still film footage you can see or videos you can see of old film footage of, of him with a sledgehammer to the back of a windshield of this hemp plastic and the hammers just bouncing off in the middle of the winter, nonetheless. And and so I always wondered, you know, like if the Rockefellers just wanted money, they could have just dominated the hemp market and they could have been folk heroes. But instead, they somehow convinced Ford to to use petroleum and they just replaced everything with petroleum. And I don't, I'm not saying petroleum is a horrible thing. I'm just saying they deliberately chose something that they, that then was turned around and demonized for being a pollutant. So what year was that written? The greening? Um, the greening was published, I believe in 1992 or 1993 to be exact. It was in the early nineties and this was right after, um, agenda 21 was signed um, into global law with the United Nations. So it was definitely in the early 90s. And I was just really fortunate enough to be alive at that time to play with my toys down his in his office in a study while he was writing this book. And it really, um, it really was a great experience growing older and actually reading these books that my father wrote because I woke up before my father even told me about what he was writing because when I was younger, I'd be with him on the weekends, but the older I got, the move, the more we uh, grew apart and I was involved with my professional sports at that time. I was a professional wakeboarder um, from when I was 16 until the time I was about 28 years old. And I signed my first professional contract when I was 16 and then in the wintertime, I was also a sponsored big mountain snow skier in Washington state. So as time went on, you know, we grew apart because I was traveling a lot and doing my sports, but, um, it was two years after his death in 2008, where my awakening happened, where I woke up before I even found out what my father was writing about. And then lo and behold, I find out that my father wrote like literally wrote the book that started this global awakening and this global Illuminati resistance. So it was really, um, it was really an interesting experience to basically fall right backwards into this, uh, truth movement. And along with falling back into this truth movement, you know, I had a lineage that basically started it all. So it was really, um, it was really in a, a very interesting experience for me. And ever since then, I've just done my best to um, carry on my father's works. I redesigned two covers out of the three books to bring them more up to date. 
And I left his first one um, on the original cover, but the other two, his sequel, Call It Conspiracy, and his book, The Greening, I updated and redesigned those covers. I put my dad's books for free online so anyone can read them for free because I strongly believe that this message is not about money at all and everyone you know, needs to read um, my father's information and knowledge, you know, true knowledge should never be paid for. So I put my dad's book for free online and I got with a publishing company to put these books um, in Amazon and on Audible for um, a voice um, Audible book setting and basically just get my books, my dad's books out there so people can really awaken to the fact that this is really happening. Yeah, you know, when he wrote that uh, book in 92, The Greening, around that same time, you could still find uh, videos of, or maybe maybe it was earlier, but in the 90s, you could still find videos of John Hutchinson, who was making, not just making things levitate, but he was also just making batteries out of simply crushing together like crude crystals and dirt into like metal cylinders and and then he was able to use those as batteries to power lights and stuff and that guy got disappeared so there's a lot of uh, technologies i mean there's also torsion you know some type of new torsion physics that's being hidden the spin technology the stuff that the nazis were using the bell but um i guess the point being is like yeah there's there's the solutions are everywhere it's just that they're being kept uh from civilization by the controllers so I have um, I I'm at the point now where I'm, you know, I was iffy about the Freemasons for years. Like when I first studied them, I was like, oh, those are the bad guys. And then years went by, and I was like, uh, maybe not. Maybe there's, you know, they've been subverted, and some of them are bad, some of them are good. But in the past couple of years, I'm back to thinking that they're the baddies. I mean, obviously, the majority of them are ignorant and they don't really know what's going on. It seems obvious. It seems like a very clever technique, and an obvious one as a way of sort of uh, farming talent, if you will, you know, trying to find guys that will, you know, be soldiers for your mission, you know, based, based on the fact that you make a blood oath, you know, or rather than that, you, you swear secrecy. You you say, yeah, you can kill me if I, if I tell your secrets, that's pretty huge right there. You know, to me, I mean, that's, I can't imagine ever doing that. So um, I can't wait to hear this when, so you were a professional wakeboarder. I'm guessing you were on the West coast. And then when did you decide to infiltrate the Freemasons and how did, how did that all start? Well, um, my first interview um, was back in 2012 on InfoWars with Alex Jones. And then after that, for three years straight, um, every year I went on uh, coast to coast with George Norrie. So there was 2012 on InfoWars in 2013, 14, and 15. I did a coast to coast with George Norrie and did a bunch of interviews after that. And during that time, and basically what I thought was, okay, I know this information. I don't want to write a book yet about it, which was recommended by one of my brothers. That I write a book, but I'm way too young. I have so much more to learn. And if I'm going to write a book, it's just going to be a one-time shot. And I'm just going to go for it and just write one. And I'm way too young right now, or even back then to write a book. I did not want to start my own podcast or YouTube channel because I knew that with the way things were going and the way eventually things would turn out that my 
YouTube channel would be shut down or demonetized. And now that over the years, I've seen so many channels that cover these kinds of topics, you know, they're demonetized for saying the simplest things. And a lot of them are being canceled. So basically what I wanted to achieve and go forward with was actually going into the brotherhood to know what they know, because I was a very aware back then that this information about the Illuminati and the Freemasons, this is the only reason that we have this information is because they allowed us to have this. And there has to be a plan how they want their agenda exposed. And I learned early on in my studies that that's basically a part of their um, forte of how they have to put their plan out there in the open for everyone to know. And if we don't do anything about it, they can move forward. So what I did is I went to a Masonic lodge in Tacoma, Washington, over on Proctor Street, and I talked to the worshipful master. I asked him what Freemasonry entailed for me to be a part of it. They gave me a list of books to read, and they talked about this oath of light. And just like you were saying earlier, you know, swearing yourself to the lodge, basically this oath of light is you know your sworn allegiance like a blood oath and as soon as they told me that that would be one of the requisites to be a part of them i knew right then that i couldn't allow myself to do that because the jesus taught us in the bible you know never swear on thine head only say yay or nay and never swear on thine head because you cannot make one hair either black or white and it's really you know, not coincidental how at the first degree of masonry, they make you swear on your head and they put you on the checkerboard. So it really, you know, opened my eyes to realize that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about because to regular people, you know, they would allow that to just, you know, fly right over their head. But the, the words Jesus chose you know, never swear on thy head because you cannot make one hair black or white in the first degree of masonry you know, you swear you will not give a secrets to the lodge or they will cut you from ear to ear on the, and the, you swear this on the checkerboard. So that really opened my eyes up. So to, that's interesting. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not a Bible scholar or anything close. So swear on, on your head. What is, what is, I mean, what does that mean? I guess that could mean, like you said, ear to ear. Yeah. And first degree of masonry, um, they say, you know, you can't, reveal any secrets of the lodge or we will slit you from ear to ear, tear out your tongue and bury your body at low tide. And it's really interesting how in the book of Matthew chapter five, verse 36, you know, neither thou shalt swear on thy head because you cannot make one hair either black or white. And those are the words of Christ. And it just really made me realize that even back in Jesus's time that they were doing these rituals and that, this brotherhood of the occult has been around for a long time yeah. and with a black and white checkerboard floor, even it sounds absolutely like. like Christ really knew his stuff. He knew what, you know, he knew what he was talking about when he was, you know, talking to the Pharisees, which I can imagine regular people in the crowd had no idea, but the Pharisees definitely knew what he was talking about. So my whole goal was to get around that oath of light. And so 
what I did is I moved to California. I moved to Los Angeles, which is the hub of all occultic knowledge west of the United States. In Los Angeles, you have you know, the OTO, the Rosicrucian Lodge, the Theosophical Society, the Order of the Golden Dawn. Los Angeles has the highest concentration of warlocks and witches in the whole Western United States. It's a it's a city really built on the on the teachings of the occult. And if you go down to Hollywood Boulevard, you see the architecture of the occult everywhere. And it's just it's in your face if you're really familiar with this type of information. So I went down to Los Angeles. Um, I moved into my friend's house on um, in Malibu for a couple of years. And then I moved over to Beverly Hills, which was closer to these occultic centers. And for years, I spent my time reading the King James Bible front to back, along with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Apocrypha and all the required um, reading of, of the Masons, you know, all the teachings of Manly P. Hall, Helena Blavatsky, and Albert Pike. And these are big books. And so it took me a while to read these books in my free time, along with, you know, working my jobs and having some free time with my friends going surfing. So in basically every, you know, spare minute I had, I spent reading these books. And so after a few years, I felt confident enough that I can actually go into these places and, you know, give off the image and the knowledge that I am one of them because my whole focus was to get what they know out to the people and to the Christian movement. So I started off infiltrating as a first degree Mason, which was very successful. Then a short time. Wait, let me, let me interrupt real quick. So, wait, so what you're saying that, um, and you went to LA to, to, so that you could fool them. So that to, to get around the oath you're talking about, you just educated yourself on their knowledge so that you could basically uh, tell them that you've already taken that oath and now you and, and, and to trick them into accepting you. Correct? Absolutely. Because okay. my whole focus was not to seal myself to them to the Masonic Lodge by taking that. Sure. Oath. No, I get it. No, I like I said, I, I, I there's no way I could um, give an oath to any man, you know. So. Absolutely. And I just wanted to use their own knowledge against them and beat them at their own game. And at my first degree of initiate of infiltration, I learned that, you know, I was doing the right thing and I was, and I knew more than a lot of high ranking Masons. And by the time I got up to the third degree infiltration of master Mason, I realized that I actually knew more than many 32nd degrees at that point. Not sure that's yeah. true. I mean, yeah. Manly P. Hall uh, was made an honorary Mason just because he basically had a, all the knowledge, you know, or yeah, he wrote his books. And before he was even a Mason himself, he wrote these great books on the occult and they brought him in because he did all the work and he was very fascinated with the occult. And luckily for me, I have that natural love and passion for the occult because yeah. it makes me understand my Christian faith better and understand, makes me understand what the Bible's talking about a lot more. So with all that occultic knowledge that I spent years, you know, getting through these books, you know, page by page and one day at a time, I eventually got up to the, you know, infiltration successful rank of master Mason. And 
it was really um, interesting to find out how a lot of these Masons, you know, especially in the 30, 31st and 32nd degree, how a lot of them don't do the study. They just pay the bills. They donate to the Shriner lot, uh, the Shriner hospitals and they do the charity work. And through that, you know, they get up through these degrees because there's basically two different ways you can do it. You can go the op, um, there's an operative Mason and a speculative Mason. The operative is doing the book work and actually doing the study and doing the memorization. And the speculative is paying the bills and donating the money and, you know, putting in your time at the Shriner Lodges and pretty much doing all the charity work that puts a front image to the public, how this is not, you know, what people hear in the rumors. This is not a Luciferian, you know, mystery school. This is actually a, you know, a brotherhood of, you know, charitable men, which I find is very, um, very, uh, um, very smart on their part because the Shriner hospitals and all the charity work and all the donations that they do, it's very um, smart how they put all this energy and this money out into the public to make the people think that they're a good organization. But if you understand Luciferianism at its core, you would understand that Luciferianism is all about balance. Whatever you take out, you put twice back in. And the whole basis of Luciferianism is to have this, you know, societal, you know, protected shield image that they think that you're a great person. You do all this charity work. You're nice. You're kind. You're always there for the people who need help. But when you go behind closed doors and do your Luciferian rituals, you know, it's very dark and it's very disturbing and it's very satanic. And I just think it's very clever on their part how um, they uh, are putting up this shield to make the pe- to make the public trust them. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you, you see that with philanthropy, you know, as well. With um, uh, before Bill Gates and all them, it was uh, what was it? Carnegie and all those guys sort of invented the word philanthropy, and it's that's this the, the cover there. And before we get in, I want to I want to I want to get into the Luciferian rituals. But before we go there, I just wanted to point out how, like mentioning Manly P. Hall, occult knowledge. You know, when I was growing up, I used to think the word occult was synonymous with evil. And then I realized it means hidden. And we were just talking about hidden technologies. And that's like if we study Manly P. Hall, for example, Manly P. Hall describes how uh, magnetics, the natural magnetics of the human body will will heal the body and keep the body fit and healthy. So long as you you have to treat the body with with respect, you have to keep that magnetism strong and healthy by, you know, eating clean food and clean water and, you know, taking care of the body, taking care of the body temple, stuff like that is being hidden from us. I mean, these days for obvious reasons, because it's, it's once again, the same reason they're hiding these technologies that will make our lives better. They're hiding these natural technologies and, or knowledge of the human body. The human body is a miracle. You know, like um, if you take care of it, it will take care of you. And so um, the, you know, especially if you, if you look at the way, how fit and healthy we were in America a hundred years ago compared to this, the pathetic state that we're in right now. And that's just from ignorance of this stuff, you know? Yeah. And I also feel that it has a lot to do with the Rockefeller Foundation taking over the American Medical Association in the early 1900s yeah, and going the Flexner straight. Report. 
Yeah, it goes like the AMA under the Rockefeller control, you know, it went straight to German allopathic medicine instead of, you know, homeopathic medicine. I think that's a real big reason why people's health is really deteriorating over the years because drugs and surgery. Yeah, it's um, instead of uh, it's kind of the old fish in the bowl, you know, trick, you know, you you have a fish with dirty water instead of cleaning the water. They want to vaccinate the fish and keep it in the yeah. dirty water. You That's know, good. And, I like that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel that, you know, the powers that be that have taken over our medical institution are really focused on profit more than actual health. And it's really alarming. You know what institutions big pharma is buying up along, you know, with the farming industry, in the chemical industries that have to do with our food and our preservatives. And it's really alarming how easy it is to get people like in the COVID era, nurses and doctors were incentivized to actually murder people uh, with just like 10 grand, you know? I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see how big the compliance will be the second time around. Because, you know, if you know anything about these people, if once they do it once, they're going to do it again. And, and I don't think this is the first time. I think we, I, you mentioned how Freemason, free, Freemasonry goes all the way back to the times of Christ. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the reason that they're so confident in whatever it is that they're doing is because they know it works because it's been done before, in my, in my opinion. But that's for another show. Yeah. And what I learned in these esoteric book studies was a lot of very profound information. They know that their craft of masonry, it it goes, you know, some will say it goes back to the Temple of Solomon. Others will say it goes even deeper than that to the Tower of Babel with Emperor Nimrod. But, you know, the really hardcore high degree masons who do their book work know that the mystery schools of masonry have been around in the time of Atlantis. And that's why the code word for master Mason is Tubal Cain and Tubal Cain. He was the grand wizard and magician and the high ranking occultist who basically, you know, was in charge and ruled Atlantis. And with this third antichrist coming up that they plan to install with this third, after this third world war, you know, everything goes in threes with the Masons because in the old days there was no 33rd degrees masonry way back in the That's a Egyptian Scottish rite thing, correct? Which they hold Egyptian culture very Yeah, it's a Scottish rite thing and original mystery schools where masonry evolved from only had 3 degrees when back in the beginning of these mystery schools when it was called you know, the Brotherhood of the Snake and the Brotherhood of the Dragon with that symbol of the Sadducees being their number one symbol. But it's evolved from there and it's, you know, become what it is today of Freemasonry. But it's come a long way through the history books and it's come a long way through the epochs of time to be what it is today. And I find it um, a great success on my part to be able to get in there and see you know, what they know and yeah, getting back, getting back to your story. So you, you, you successfully made the third, third degree. Um, how did they know your name? Were you using your name? Like I would have imagined they know who your father were. And I would imagine, I mean, who knows? I would imagine these people are smart enough to, to like do background checks on people. I don't know. I mean, I told them, 
I told them my name and a lot of them, you know, they gave me a lot of praise for my father's work and they didn't see me as an enemy. I told them, you know, I'm one of you, you know, and you know, if you wish to, and, and they did a lot of this too, because I wasn't able to provide them with a membership card that proved that I was paying my monthly dues. So a lot of the lodges that I went into, you know, they take you in this back room and they do this Masonic interrogation. They go, okay, if you, you know, if you are, you know, a third degree master Mason, you know, you know, give me the handshake and you do that and you give them the code word for that degree and you present yourself as a Mason, you put your feet a certain way and you put your hands in a certain position and you do a hand gesture to let them know that you are actually on that level with them. And then they go and ask you certain questions like, you know, tell us about our prophet of master masonry, Harama Biff. Tell us about the ritual. Of this is stuff that you just learned on your own, all this stuff, the handshake. Absolutely. This is all. You that know, is impressive. That is, that this, yeah, this is a very good story. So continue. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it took years, you know, of reading these books and, you know, going front to back in a lot of ancient texts, like, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the King James Bible and the four Holy Vedas, you know, it's along with our Masonic reading. So, I was able to go into this knowing, and what's funny is that during these interrogations, there would be the worshipful master and a couple um, 32nd degree Masons there because everything works in threes with this Masonic Lodge. So there'd always be three people interrogating you. And I remember that during this one interrogation in Los Angeles, how a 32nd degree goes, wow, I didn't know that. And I was just, you know, giving them what I knew. And the questions they were asking me, like when they asked me about the prophet Harama Biff, I was telling them that, you know, he comes from the land of Asher and he's from the tribe of Naphtali, you know, comes from the city of Tyre. And yeah, it was funny how a 32nd degree Mason said, yeah, wow, I didn't know that. Like, you know, you're obviously, you know, you're obviously one of us because the thing is about masonry. What I've noticed in California compared to, you know, I live in Texas now in San Antonio. And what I've noticed about Los Angeles compared to um, other places I've been in Los Angeles, Freemasonry is not about all the useless memorization that a lot of other states and a lot of other lodges concern themselves with, with their members. Like Los Angeles is very prevalent about actually doing the book reading because the memorization only gets you so far. You know, it is a part of it, but they don't really concern themselves that much with it. They want their master masons to read the King James Bible front to back, and they want their members to actually do the book work. And what I've noticed here in Texas is that that's not really the case. They don't really concern themselves with the book work to actually go up on the ladder of masonry. They just, um, they want people to pay their dues, do the charity, and just remember like a half a page of information word for word and just concern themselves with useless memorization that yeah. actually has no light at the end of that tunnel. Because Sort of the useless idiots of the Freemasonry just to pay the bills and everything, whereas LA is more, like you said, the... Uh the Luciferian uh, practice, the operatives, like you said. Yeah, they're a very operative over there because there's so many occult, you know, centers over there, you know, along with the Order of the Golden Dawn, which I got invited to, and the Rosicrucians and the Theosophical Society and the OTO and many other occult gatherings that, 
you know, I wasn't aware of, but are over there. And I really realized that in LA, like they are really, you know, prevalent with their book study because they know that, you know, if you're going to be into the occult and you're going to ascend as a warlock or a witch or a member of the occult, you know, book study is the most important to really know, you know, the actual knowledge of these ancient texts in this occultic mythology and this occultic philosophy. So I was really, um, speaking of that, I mean, wasn't it the Rose, I just learned this recently, a couple of years ago, it wasn't it the Rose Rosicrucians. I can never pronounce that right. Wasn't it the Rosicrucians who translated the King James Bible with the council of Nicaea? No, it was, um, King James when he hired 57, um, other scholars around Europe and, what I've been told and from what I've, you know, read is that the Rosicrucians had their input on the King James, but the King James Bible is the only version that the Masons use because they know that every other version, including the new King James is not, um, a hundred percent translated correctly. They know that the 1611 King James with all the work that went into it, it actually translates perfectly to the Dead Sea Scrolls that we found in 1947 over in the caves of Qumran. And the Masons are very, have always had the inside information to know that the, the 1611 version of the King James is the true version. And this is why it's on every altar. And in, in, the first uh, page of the book is like a Masonic page. You know, I mean, it looks like a Mason's book almost. Right. And it's really interesting how the King James, you know, you'll never find another version on the altar of Masonry. When you go into these ritual rooms in the middle of the room on the checkered floor is the altar and the King James is always there here in America and over in the UK and Australia. And if you go to other nations like um, the Masons over in Saudi Arabia, because what I learned at 33rd degree Masonry, when I was shown the four holy books, there's actually four different factions, like main factions to Masonry that go with the four holy books of the 33rd degree. And I was just lucky enough that a 33rd, you know, he saw me at a bunch of different lodges, um, dinners, rituals, and book studies. And he kind of pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, I know what you're doing. I don't know. I, I know who you are. And at that point I realized I was caught and I thought my Masonic, you know, path would end, but he assured me that he wouldn't tell anyone what he knew about me. And he just wanted me to meet me at a certain uh, place um, later that week. And uh, he wanted me to meet me at this place. He gave me the address. And he wanted me to be there at midnight. So a few days go by and I realized that it was, All right, let's back up a second. So this, I mean, this is like a movie. So, um, okay. So at this point um, you've already, you've gone through all the interrogations. You're a third degree at this point. Yes. Okay. And then you're at a, you're at a, a Freemasonic lodge and you meet a 33rd degree Mason who comes up to you and says, Hey, I know, I know who you are. I know you're infiltrating. Um, I'm not going to tell on, I'm not going to say anything, but I want to, I want to meet up with you at midnight at this place. Am I correct? Yeah. 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 And it was really interesting how he told me like he was a huge fan of my father's book. He actually had a copy of my father's book in his living room. He grew up in the Demolay society as a child and he's been in masonry his whole life. And he told me that he's very impressed and he's never seen anything like that before, how someone 
has successfully infiltrated masonry up to the rank of master mason. So he wanted me to meet him at a certain place later that week uh, at, um, at the time of midnight. And I didn't know where I was going, but after he told me where to go, like later on that evening, I looked up where it was online and it was actually the 32nd degree Masonic Lodge in Los Angeles County, right over there on Wilshire Street. And if you look it up online, it's a very beautiful lodge and it recently got sold and now it's a museum. And so they kept the the Masonic regalia up in a certain room. So it's like a, a Masonic museum and there's a lot of beautiful statues on the outside. And so I met him there at midnight and he was there along with two other of his friends who I'd never met before. And what I knew about the person who invited me there, his name was um, Ori. I never knew his last name, but his first name was Ori. And his two other buddies' names, like I asked him their names, like, oh, you're not going to know that. You can just call us Orin. You can call both of us that. I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. Like, (laughs) are you guys going to beat me up? Are you guys going (laughs) to, you know, (laughs) like, I don't know. So they basically took me in the, um, up and through this Masonic Lodge on Wilshire Street. And all three of them had these four books laid out. And they say, listen, like, we know who your dad is. We're really impressed of, you know, what you've been doing. We know that it took years of dedication and a lot of work to do what you're doing. We know your heart's in the right place. We're all 33, uh, 33 degree Masons. And we just wanted to show you these books. And so the four holy books go as such. There's a King James, the Bhagavad Gita with the four holy Vedas right underneath it. And then there's the Holy Quran. And then there's Aleister Crowley's Book of the Law. And when they show me these books, they say, you know, when all of us were shown these books, we had to choose one. So, you know, choose your path. So I chose King James. And they all looked at each other and smiled because, you know, according to them, all three of them, they also chose King James. And they were telling me when you choose King James at a 33rd degree level, that's basically when you're where your Masonic path ends because Jesus died at 33 and to ascend above the rank of 33rd degree masonry and go into your first degree of Illuminatiism, you have to, you know, choose the other three, which are represented by the four elements and the four angels of the apocalypse. And they were very descriptive and very, um, very in depth of what these four holy books mean. And let me ask a question. This is what I never understood because I've heard a lot of this. Like you go going from Master Mason to thirty third degree. Is there not in between degrees? Is it is that is there not like you know four, five, six, seven, eight? All oh, there is, but um, it's just common bro. for people to get skipped. And and in, I can see in your case. And then one more question before we get back to it, uh, just to just to double check. You're saying what they said is if is if you were to have picked, or maybe not you, but they're saying that traditionally someone entering the 33rd degree, if they were to pick any th- the, the other three books, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, or Aleister Crowley, then that is sort of an automatic initiation into the Illuminati? Well, what that represents is that, that it proves to them that you're ready to proceed on forward because mason, masonry is a screening process for the occult. That's what's really important to understand, and that's what I figured out along the way is that masonry is a screening process 
to let other high ranking Masons know, you know, who's going to ascend or who's just going to stay in Masonry, you know, who's going to stay at the rank of third degree, which a lot don't proceed above who's going to stay at 32nd and not receive the honorary degree of 33 and who's basically, who's not going to, you know, proceed forward. And through that screening process, it lets, you know, other members of the occult know where their you know where their hearts and their path and their and their beliefs truly lie and it really kind of woke me up to the fact that through these four holy books of the 33rd degree it really proved to me that there is a lot more above the 33rd like in a grand sense i would honestly say that 33rd degree masonry is like third degree in elementary school or like third grade elementary school compared to the 12 grades up to your senior year. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because there's lots of 33rd degree masons, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's lots of them. Yeah. It's not as uncommon as, as people might believe it's. Yeah. There's a lot of them. And what's really interesting is how the members of skull and bones over at Yale they don't even have to mess with masonry. They receive their first degree of Illuminatiism or what they call Illuminism right there at the Skull and Bone Society. In and college. You, yeah, in college, because yeah. they come from very prestigious families. Yeah. They've already been approved. And this also goes for the members of Scroll and Key over at Stanford and Harvard University. Like these college students who come from very prestigious families and have that lineage and which the occult want to use to put them in certain powers of position. They don't even mess with masonry. They just put them right above it and just get them right into the occult in the, the art of Illuminism right from college. And it's really interesting to me how, you know, there are chosen people who get to just completely skip the screening process of masonry, but for the 99%, you know, they have to go through this and prove that they are willing to go to a certain level for this occultic knowledge. And because I chose King James, you know, along with the three other guys that show me this stuff, they, that let them, that put a big smile on their face because they knew like my heart was in the right place and that I'm doing this specifically to get this information out to the Christian movement and basically risking myself and my safety to do this because there's no other greater path in Christianity than to sacrifice yourself for the greater good for the movement. Okay. So, so then what, so then um, you choose that um, they're pleased and then what? Well, they fully explain how, what the Hindus call prana or what the, um, the Asians call reggae or chi or what the German Nazis called vril. Masons believe in this electromagnetic energy called the force. And these four holy books of the 33rd degree are a direct reflection of the four different paths of masonry, which relate to this Masonic idea and this belief called the force. Now, it's really important um, for people to understand with these four holy books, these four holy books are represented by elements and the four angels of the apocalypse. Let's start with King James. King James, um, there's, you know, there's water earth, air, and fire, but the four angels of the apocalypse are the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man that are talked about in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. Now, those are also like the four fixed 
signs, right? Is, there, is that what they're called the, in astrology? The the uh, Taurus and like uh, I, I, I'm not I'm not an astrology expert, but there's fixed signs, um, cardinal signs, and anyways, continue. I know I know this stuff is cross referenced through all different types of of uh, sciences and stuff. So yeah, it relates to you know the four seasons of the year, which make right. a complete yeah. cycle. And let's start with King James. The King James Bible is represented by the element of water in the angel of the man. This is why in the Bible is said, you know, the scripture became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is why, you know, Jesus walked on water and chose fishermen in the ritual for the belief in this faith is the baptism through water. So the King James is represented by the water and the man of the angels. The second book we'll go to is the Quran. The Quran is represented by the fire and the lion. Now, what's really important for people to understand about the Quran is that it's all about submission of souls and the force power. If I may backtrack a bit, the force power, the Masonic force power for the King James is the, is the ability to heal other people. They call that the power of the apostles being, being able to heal the sick and heal other people outside yourself. And with the Quran, that force power, the Masonic force power of the Muslim uh, faith in the Quran is submission of souls to be a warlord and to submit as many people under your rule, under the power of authority and force. This is why it's represented by the lion, because the lion is the king of the jungle and consumes all who challenge. And it's represented by the fire, which fire consumes all that touches it. So the Quran is represented by those um, by that fire element and by that angel of the lion to represent its force power of, of submission through force. We go to the Bhagavad Gita and this force power is all about healing yourself. And keep in mind, you know, we see a lot of warlords. We hear about all these force powers today with warlords in Africa um, taking over these countries and submitting and like killing all these Christians and people who don't believe in it. So we see this stuff every day and going on to the Bhagavad Gita, this is um, a force power in a branch of masonry that is represented by the earth and through the angel of the ox. This is why they worship the cow over in these Hindu countries and through yoga to achieve their Masonic force power it's all about yoking the earth because yoga means to yoke. They use the Brahman. They use the, the power of yoking all the vibrational energy through the Brahma and through yoga to use all that um, vibration through all living things on the earth to achieve their force power. And we hear about this Masonic force power a lot, like the Tibetan monks or the Hindu um, monks that are a part of this faith. You know, their force power is self-healing, and that is living for extended periods of time, being able to control their blood pressure, being able to heal themselves from wounds. And we see and hear about all these Tibetan monks and over in Nepal, how these they're using the power of meditation and yoga to be able to live longer and to heal themselves and to control their blood pressure. And it's really interesting how in these books of... Um, in the branch of the Hindu mythology of masonry through the Bhagavad Gita and the four Holy Vedas. If you read these books, they teach you how to meditate. They teach you with the power of yoga. And it's really interesting how 
all the information to achieve these Masonic force powers are right there in these texts. And even well, here's an King interesting James, question I have is, uh, okay, so the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, and the King James Bible are all, all go back for centuries, but Aleister Crowley's book is only like a hundred years old or so, right? Exactly. So, and I'm about to get to that okay. too. Yeah. And if you look in the King James in first Corinthians 12, chapter 12 from verse one through 11, it tells you the Christian Masonic force power there and how you achieve it and what gifts you will be given along with healing. You'll be given the gift of prophecy and discerning of tongues. So, okay. So on to the last one, um, the book of the law, it's very important to understand that, um, this uh, branch of masonry in this book, it used before Aleister Crowley's work, it used to be the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Okay, that's very important to understand. And you just said, I, I, you just said that traditionally there was three levels of Freemasonry. Yes. Before the so 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 that would mean traditionally it was the three books, and then this, this fourth book is a new addition. No, no, no. Um, when you achieve the third level in the old times, instead of having the King James Bible, they had the Torah scriptures. Okay. And then from that, it evolved into the Bible with the New Testament. But before then, so it's an it's a it's a system that evolves just like other systems. It's not absolutely okay, it gotcha. evolves over the time. And so, this fourth path of masonry, which is represented by the air and by the eagle, this is the satanic Luciferian path of masonry. And before the Aleister Crowley's Book of the Law that was written in 1903, before it was, no, actually 1904, that when the Book of the Law was written, before then it was the Egyptian Book of the Dead. But since Aleister Crowley, you know, he went you know, to the king, he went to the main pyramid into the king's chamber and actually made contact with a demonic entity named Ewas and had his wife, you know, um, what they call channeling uh, this demon and writing down this uh, occult masterpiece called the Book of the Law. And because Aleister Crowley was a Mason, they felt because he made that contact and he was a part of the Brotherhood that his work was easily decided to supersede the Egyptian Book of the Dead to bring the Luciferian branch of masonry, which was rep which is represented by Air and the Eagle. They felt his work was worthy enough to be a, a fourth holy book of the 33rd degree of masonry and to oversee and replace the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Because in the Luciferian sense, we all know that Lucifer is the prince of the power of the air. So that's why it relates to that element. And it goes with the eagle because the eagle flies. And with the prince of the power of the air and the eagle being in flight, they represent that um, fourth angel of the apocalypse to this branch of masonry. It also and makes we, me think of the phoenix because the phoenix yes. is often related to the eagle and air feeds the fire. And mm -hmm. the phoenix is all about destruction, which is what Satanism basically is. Absolutely. The, the rising of the phoenix out of the order ab chaos, the order out of the chaos, the phoenix is the symbol of that. And it's no coincidence why we have the eagle on the back of the $1 bill in Washington, D.C. laid out and all these Luciferian occultic symbols from an aerial view, because we have to really understand that the Masons that built this country they chose this holy book to proceed forward in and go up the ranks of the occult to achieve more knowledge and power. 
And the force power for Luciferianism and for this fourth branch of masonry, which is represented by the air and the eagle, this force power is controlling other people without them knowing. So what they will use is media and music and movies and entertainment to control people's thoughts and reactions and um, how which they actually, act. which actually goes back way before Aleister Crowley. Oh, absolutely. Right. So Aleister Crowley basically just sort of modernized it in a, yes. Here, before we go on, I just, um, I'm getting the impression, and this is kind of the impression that I've had for a while because I'm also very much into the occult. I, I was born, uh, with the curiosity for it. And what I found, like I said, there was a time when I thought it means evil. And then as I got older, I'm like, it's just, it's just knowledge. Uh, for example, knowledge. for example, yes. when you get into the uh, the patterns of numbers, there's an undeniable um, pattern to them in reality where it really makes you start questioning where we are. It almost seems like we're in some type of matrix or some type of um, uh, we're definitely in a construct that was created by intelligent design is what I'm trying to say. And that's all, what a lot of this knowledge does is it shows you these things and it seems to me the reason it's traditionally hidden is mostly to, to be safe because humans are very superstitious people and uh, you can get burned at the stake by people for some of this stuff. And so what you're telling me, it almost sounds like, for example, you got to choose between four books and you're describing these four books as if uh, it's depending on what a person chooses. It kind of shows, you know, what a person has in their heart. Like, do they want to, uh, show Christ's compassion to people, or do they want to control and manipulate people? Or, you know, would you agree with any of that? Absolutely. Because um, when Masons recruit other members, you know, they, you know, they have certain guidelines for membership. They want you to first to believe in a higher power into a God. Second, they want you to be an upstanding citizen. And then third, they say they want people, men who have heart, they want men who have the heart of a Mason. And that can mean many different things to many different people. But what basically they're trying to tell, you know, new members is that, you know, we want you to believe in a God, to believe that you're not the only thing out there. We want you to have a belief that's something that's greater than you. We want you to be an upstanding citizen and not a buffoon or a fool. But also yeah. we want you to show us that you have heart, that you have the heart of a Mason and heart well, that, is very important. That makes sense. Cause you know, I'm not putting anyone down, but one of the things I've learned in the past few years through COVID and, and through the reactions of other people is it seems almost like a lot of people amongst us don't have heart. You know, it seems yeah. like almost yeah. like there are people that don't have a soul or that are NPCs. And like I'm saying, I'm not trying to put them down. It's just, astounding to me how many people there are that seem like they're robotic well yeah this is why the masons call the public the profane the profane exactly right yes because they have a very and very it's high almost like understanding that there are some only a few people who actually have you know the the instinct and the love in their heart to actually move on from what they're being told and the construct that they've been, the construct that they've been born into. And that's what masonry is all about is to find those men who wish to seek higher knowledge or what they call the light of masonry and the light that's given to them from the, from the great grand architect. 
and the God of knowledge, what we know as Lucifer. And that's a very um, important thing for people to understand is that when you talk to, um, so you know, when I personally talk to these high degree Masons, these 32nd, 33 degree, degree Masons, they know exactly who, you know, the, who they're praying to when, cause they don't pray to, you know, Jesus in these Masonic, you know, gatherings, they pray to the great grand architect, the father of light. And they know that that's Lucifer. And to hear them talk about how Lucifer is the bringer of knowledge and the light bringer and how he saved us, you know, from the garden of Eden, it's really a Gnostic and Nicolaitan take of the knowledge of what the Bible's talking about, you know, the Nicolaitans that Jesus hates so much in the book of Revelations are these Gnostics, you know, sectors of people who, you know, they just reverse the roles. They believe that Lucifer saved them, you know, from the knowledge and from the Garden of Eden through knowledge. And it was Jehovah that kept us enslaved in ignorance. And that's what the Nicolaitans or the Gnostics truly believe. And I find that to be very interesting at the high degrees of masonry, that that is their, you know, philosophic and, you know, whole take on, you know, between God and Lucifer. And then what I also learned in the book studies later on, after I was shown these four holy books and allowed to join these high degree Masonic book studies, how they have this plan for this new world order and their interpretation of God and Lucifer is there's nothing demonic or angelic or heavenly about it at all. They strongly believe that this is in a nutshell two alien factions that are coming at each other who have been having this war out in the cosmos for millions of years. And when I got that piece of information through these book studies, after I saw the four holy books, that really opened me up. And when I was told from these high-ranking masons in these occultic book studies that they were told from the Purple Lodge over in Washington, D.C., because every you know world power and every nation that has mason masonry within its borders has a central lodge. And, you know, there's the Grand Lodge in England set up in 1717, which is the World Lodge, but that's the main lodge in England. And then we have our Purple Lodge over in Washington, D.C., because the lower degrees, the first three degrees are blue from four through 32nd is red. And then when you mix those two together and you have your honorary degree of 33rd, that's the Purple Lodge. And during these book studies, we were told that we got direct you know, knowledge from the Purple Lodge that we have to have this third temple built on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem by 2030, because over the epochs of time, the Masons' whole purpose wasn't just to build these worshipful religious temples. It was also to build the structure of society and the banking system and the economy and the thinking pattern and the spiritual belief of society. It doesn't just end with temple building, but in the Bible, they they built the first temple with David and Solomon. And then the second temple with Ezra, when he was released from Babylon through King Cyrus, and when he came back to Israel, they built the second one. Now they are being told that the third temple must be built. And it's very symbolic of how the third Antichrist will arise to bring in this global government and try again for the third time. Because the first time was with Tubal Cain and Atlantis. That was the first Antichrist and the first power. Wait, of let's, 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 let's slow down a second, because this is the, sort of the finale. 
yeah. this whole temple building thing before um you mentioned you mentioned they at this higher level you learned that the masons believe in a battle between two aliens that are i guess non-humans that's been going on for a long time um well, they're very go. human. Uh, they believe they, you know, they made the the knowledge very clear of what we know as angels are these ancient humanoids from the constellation of Pleiades. And right now there's this mothership called the New Jerusalem in front of Venus being ready to come back to Earth with this um, fleet called the Order of the Melchizedek, which is, you know, all biblical scripture, it all like they ba they basically relate the the knowledge from the space force disclosure, and they cross reference it with all the biblical information from the Masonic teachings, and they call this great mothership that they claim is in front of Venus as the New Jerusalem, where they call um, Yeshua and his father Captain Jehovah in charge of this mothership, and they will come back when Jesus judges the antichrist on temple Mount and how this Luciferian faction, you know, he was a fall. He was a fallen member of the Pleiadian clan, which recruited these reptilians and these insectoids from the Orion constellation. And this is why the pyramids are built in Orion's belt. And this is why even back in ancient Sumeria, the Epic of Gilgamesh, how this um, creature like, named Tiamat recruited yeah. this, this branch of reptilians and insectoids from all over the galaxy to stand up to Marduk. It was just another interpretation of the battle between Lucifer and Michael. And what they say in the Masonic Lodge in these book teachings is that this person that we know, or this entity we know as Lucifer, you know, he, he was a Pleiadian, but he fell from that faction and he recruited from the Orion constellation, these insectoids and these reptilians. And what we know as um, a Borg species, they claim that Lucifer is a humanoid, an ancient humanoid, but just half of his body or more than half of his body is mixed with very ancient alien technology to keep them, you know, going, and this is why we see such a rise. Not transhumanism. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Is this what, what uh, this must have been? What Gurdjieff, when he wrote uh, Beelzebub, Tales of Beelzebub, or whatever, uh, uh, which is a great book, but you know that was yeah. Uh, is that um, um is that um, G.I. Gurdjieff? Is that um, in search of the miraculous? The one I'm talking of, I believe it's. Uh, Tales of Beelzebub, I think is what it's called. It's a big ass book, but it's uh, Beelzebub is basically like a Lucifer character, but he's on a spaceship, and they're exactly. and, yeah, and 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 it sound it, it reads like a science fiction movie, um, but when you put into account, and I've heard this, I mean, obviously they're obsessed with Pleiades and Sirius, uh, and Orion. These, yeah, yes. Orion, yeah, these are all uh, all the way back to the ancient times. These star systems are are basically referenced as the source of, of, of this thing. Okay. Yeah, so they also point out from the book of Job, the struggle, you know, in the book of Job, it says, do you wish to have the sweet influence of Pleiades or do you, excuse me, wishing to loosen the bands of slavery from Orion? You know, they've referenced that. Do these, do these um relate to the books? Like is, is, is the King James like Pleiades and, and one book Orion, or, I mean, or is, 
Is there a relationship? Oh, no. They didn't relate the four holy books to any star constellations, but they did relate them to the four elements and the four angels of the apocalypse, which was the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man. So what are the four star systems? There's Pleiades, Orion? I'm not sure. I I know there's Pleiades, Orion, and I'm sure there's a couple others, but they didn't... What I was told with these four holy books, they didn't give me any representation of how these four holy books represent any star systems. Now the temple is, is this is where I get lost in the email. I mentioned this before, like um, I'm just convinced that the, the destruction of a temple and the building of a temple, you hear it all the time from the evangelicals and the Zionists. Um, I think it's the evangelicals, but there's a branch of Christianity that's just as, that seems, you know, there was a documentary made about it, about they, they're eager to see the destruction of this temple because it's part of prophecy and all this stuff. And this is where I get lost because I just, I'm just, I think this must be symbolic because I don't understand like who cares about a building. I mean, I love, I love buildings. I used to build houses. I get it. They're, we live in them. It's they're They are very sacred and everything like that, but still, you know, it's, it, it, that's just where it loses me. So so um, let's get into that. This is their yours. This and this is what I've heard. Like the main goal is, what temple is it they want to build again? Solomon's temple, right? Well, every Masonic lodge is mirrored after the after Solomon's temple from the book of First Kings and Second Kings from the King James Bible. You know, they um, they basically have all these Masonic lodges with the two pillars and the checkered floor and the worshipful master facing to the east. But what they don't tell you is that when the first, you know, temple was created for Solomon to house the Ark of the Covenant, the temple actually used to face to the west to the setting of the sun. That was the direction that they would actually worship Jehovah in. They actually worship Jehovah was to the west, but through the throughout the ages, Lucifer has taken over these occult, you know, mythology schools from the very beginning. And when you have these Masonic lodges, they face to the east to the rising sun because Lucifer is the sun of the morning. So it's just kind of like what everything Lucifer does. He takes everything that's good, wholesome, and holy, and just flips it the other way into a perversion. So like the Kali Yuga. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he basically took, you know, the Lodge of Solomon, which represents, you know, which the Masons, you know, wanted to model their occult faction after. And instead of having it face to the West, he had the worshipful master and the whole lodge face to the East. And what's really important to understand is that these temples are actual hubs in places of worship because if you study the kinetic energies and the electromagnet uh, the electromagnification of energy and worship you know you understand that vibration through the study of cymatics is so important because it actually is a vibrational temple and a hub for vibrational energy so these temples are very important for worship and with this third temple that's supposed to be built by 2030 on the temple mountain in Jerusalem, it's very important to understand that this third temple will represent the third Antichrist brought from the third world war and put in this position because Jerusalem will be the capital of this global government led by Zionism at its core. People need to really understand that, that Zionism is at the core of this entire global government 
and this occult takeover of the world. It's not the Jesuit order. The Jesuits are in control of, they're controlled by the Freemasons. This is why they wear their yarmulke and the Zionist banks control all the funding for the Vatican church. The, the Jesuits are a big part of it. They're a, a But the a Zionists are a lot younger than the Jesuits though. Oh, the Zionism has been around for a long time. They just actually gave themselves a name with Bernard Baruch in Switzerland, the late 1800s. But this, what Jesus calls the synagogue of Satan has been around for a long time. And this is, keep in mind, this is the one group that Jesus warned us about twice in the book of Revelations and Revelations. Zionism, the Sabbatean Frankists, as David Icke calls them, the 1666, um, or is that just a, a more, is that, is that a modern version of it? I believe that would be a modern version of okay. it. But this synagogue of Satan that Jesus warned us about, this is basically the faction that claims to be Jews, but they're not, but they're very rich. And they hide behind this religious group of people that we know as the Jews to install this global government. And this has their, been their plan ever since they wrote the Babylonian Talmud. I believe in it was... Um, in 700 or 800 AD when the Babylonian Talmud actually came into fruition just from oral teachings and they actually put it down on paper and then it was refined in the 1500s over in Spain. But this, um, there's a big difference between Torah, you know, true Torah worshiping Jews, and then this Talmud faction, which is the Zionist faction, which was the driving force to create the country of Israel and put their symbol of Zionism of the hexagram on the Israeli flag. Yeah, because that's a, that's a, that Star of David is actually not a Jewish symbol. It's actually, I, I heard there was the Rothschilds that actually adopted, it's an old, I mean, it's sacred geometry. It's uh, it's the same thing you'll see in you know Emoto's water crystals when you have like a perfectly natural water crystal. So it's absolutely it was adopted by the Rothschilds, but the Bible um, back in the days of the apostles they called it the Star of Remphin. Star of Remphin. Yeah, the Star of Remphin. That was um. That was their um, way of calling it back in the early days of the of the apostles in the book of Acts, the Star of Remphin. And then even before that, it was called the Seal of Solomon because the hexagram, when Solomon turned to black magic through the influence of his many wives in his harem, you know, when he turned away from Jehovah and got into Moloch worship and the worship of Chemosh and Baal and Ashtoreth, you know, if you read the spell books of Solomon, which Aleister Crowley revamped and republished and brought forward into a modern time, you will realize that the hexagram is one of the three most important symbols of occultic demonic worship. The other ones being the five-pointed pentagram and the seven-pointed star, which faces to the south. And I just find how it's no coincidence how these are the same three symbols of law enforcement. Yeah. Because, you know, as we see today, you know, the police are basically a gang for hire. And these police, along with, you know, the revamped, evolved evolution of the FBI and the CIA, you know, police law enforcement representing these three symbols have been used throughout American history to protect these wizard brother brotherhoods and protect these covens. And with this third temple, people really need to understand that this third temple is is a it's a symbol you know it's just a symbolic um act 
of everything that these occult lodges have been trying to do over such a millennia of time and Freemasonry, which is the foundation of all occult societies, you know, to be a part of the Rosicrucians and the Order of the Golden Dawn, you know, about 99% of these guys have to come through Freemasonry as a screening process. So Masons really understand, and they made it very clear how their whole purpose is to build this third temple to install this antichrist. And what I found very interesting is that through their plan to how to achieve this new world order, they have it in a certain sequence. The first sequence will be how they have to have this global world war between the East and the West. And they always refer back to Albert Pike and Giuseppe Manzini's plan to have this war between global Zionism and the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood to the to the East and the Zionists and the and the Zionist allies to the West. So they said that to achieve this new world order, they're going to ignite this third world war between the East and the West that will evolve into the war between Zionism and the Muslim Brotherhood. And after a few nuclear bombs get dropped, they say that they're going to bring apart their other part of the plan, which they called Operation Majority. And through Operation Majority, which they referred back into the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Book of Baruch, there's a prophecy in the book of Baruch called the attack of the Shadim. And the attack of the Shadim is an ancient prophecy of a demonic invasion during the time of the Antichrist to install his power onto this earth. And if you go into the Dead Sea Scrolls and you look up this prophecy in the book of Baruch, they the Masons relate this prophecy. This is the prophecy they refer to to bring in their false alien invasion. Yeah. To install the Antichrist. This is how the world elect and the world elite will be deceived into believing this one person needs to take control of power because they say that through this false alien invasion, they're going to, they said that through this um, Operation Majority false alien invasion, they're going to claim that, hey, we noticed that you're dropping a lot of bombs. We're here to help so you don't destroy yourself, but have no fear. We're not here to hurt you. We already are in contact with someone on your planet who we've been in contact for a long time. And he says that, you know, you people are a very young, immature species that you just need some guidance and help. And through him, we won't attack you. And it's going to be this person, which the Masons call Nikolai. And I have no idea why they call him that name. But that's the name they gave him in the Masonic book studies. They say through this person named Nikolai, that's going to keep peace between Earth and this alien invasion. This is going to be the person that the Christians call the Antichrist or what the Buddhists call the Maitreya or the Muslims call the Imam Mahdi or the Jews call the Mashiach, the Mashiach. Like this is going to be the guy that all these other religions besides Christianity. have. And then we're getting into the, into the one world religion. Yes, and he's what gonna, I see. That's yes. what I see happening right now. I, yes. I see. He's um, gonna this, say. He's gonna say. Like through him, like with this temple on Temple Mount, with Jerusalem being the capital, we need to evolve into a one world religion, a one world government, and a one world money system. To the Pope's already peace. The Pope's already openly talking about that, mm -hmm. um, creating a one world religion. Yes, and it seems to me. I don't want to offend anyone in listening who might be upset about this, but it seems to me that's what Trump's all about. 
I gave Trump a chance. I gave Trump an open mind for a couple of years, but once the vaccines, lockdowns, and Jan 6th happened, I realized he was a fraud. Um, he's definitely a bloodline. He's definitely a big shot. Um, his father was the one guy who who managed all of Nikola Tesla's findings, which says a lot, I think. And um, he's very tied into all to not to Zionism and to the Vatican and, you know, the Catholics. And, um, and it seems to me like Biden, the whole Biden psyop, whatever you want to call it, it, there's at least three different guys they're calling Biden and the guy craps his pants and mumbles. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think anything's an accident. The only thing that makes sense to me about Joe Biden is they're trying to get every single last Amer profane all the profane who are just busy living their lives. Uh, and I don't mean any disrespect when I say that word, but they're just trying to get everyone's attention. The average Joe's attention who normally doesn't vote to all of a sudden get on board with Trump, the whole, all these attacks, so-called attacks against Trump. They're not really attacks. It's all a show. Um, there's only one reason to do that. And that's to get everyone to love Trump and it's working. And so the only thing that makes sense to me is, I mean, so why? Why do they want to get everyone on board with him? And then when you look at what what he's involved in with all these di different religions, you know, um, and uh, and I believe the, time will tell. What time will tell? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I I have trust issues, so I don't really trust. Yeah, <laughs> and what we were told in the Masonic book studies, how when Trump created Space Force, what they told us is that Trump creating Space Force was a way to get the world ready for this Masonic plan. They say in the Masonic books days how Trump is going directly against this global cabal money system and his creation of Space Force is to get the world ready for this Masonic plan that he already knows about. So when this so operation... Yeah, because because you know what, what comes to mind throughout this whole conversation is you know there's this new pop culture lingo, lingo that has been introduced from the Q movement um white hats you know white hats are going to save <laughs> you us need to stuff. understand Q was a whole free they oh i believe a, it no that, I, that I, was all I, a freemasonic operation and the masons laugh their ass off when whenever someone talks about Q because i'm sure that was actually true. a that it was a Freemasonic plan because if you look and they made this very, you know, apparent to me, they go, if you ever want to know about Q, just know that was us along with 9-11, like bringing down the two towers and the Solomon building. That was a Masonic ritual brought together by the yeah. hard, you know, the extreme Masons over in Israel. And they were telling me also that QAnon was a Freemasonic psyop, because if you look in the plan of the Third World War, before the war actually kicks off, they have to have this social cataclysm and this social collision between the nihilists and this Christian movement with no compass or direction. So obviously they were telling me that, you know, the nihilist um, movement with a lot of savagery was the BLM movement. And then the Christian movement with no compass and direction was the QAnon movement because yeah. they had all these beliefs and they were going against Luciferianism, but they didn't know who the heck Q was. So a lot of Masons, they chuckle amongst themselves and they're very proud of that psyop. Well, it was, a. I mean, I'll tell you what, that's a whole other story. Well, I'll just mention it really quick because I, I, I'm fascinated by it. Um, 
I was actually uh, um, in a in an ashram uh, working on finding peace in a world of tyranny because I I was um, trying to uh, do what I'm doing today back in the day. But then in Obama's second term, I kind of gave up hope. I was like, man, this is, people are just, this is lost. So I was like, how, how am I going to, what am I going to do? Am I going to be miserable? Am I going to, you know, how am I going to be happy in a world of tyranny? So that's what I was doing when for some reason this, I find this fascinating because I wasn't on, um, uh, what's it called? 4chan. I wasn't into like, con- I, I, I was giving the whole conspiracy thing a break during this time but I still managed to somehow come across the very first Q post on the very within hours of it being posted. Somehow, within hours of the first Q post being posted, I saw it. And even though it seemed silly to me, it still, for some reason, got my attention to the point where I started following it. And then once I saw uh the Marines bombing the poppy fields for whatever reason, that's what did it to me. Then I started believing it. Then I was like, all right, Trump is really actually trying to fight these guys. And that's what got me to join InfoWars. I um, I then left the ashram and moved to Hawaii because I, I've been there before and I believe magical things happen in Hawaii. And, uh, and I was very um, clear. I was praying every day, asking God to get me involved. I said, I want to be involved in this. I want to help. And, uh, and then, uh, Throughout, I'm not, I'll spare the details, but it was a very it was a very synchronistic, serendipitous story of how I managed to get Rob Dew's phone number, and then once I got his phone number, I just moved to Texas and kind of put him on the spot and got hired. But well, that's point cool. Being, so where in Texas do you live? Well, I live in Florida now, but I but when I I moved to Austin because I my that's how it, that's been my life. If I want a job, I get a job, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and I find you just be persistent. So that's kind of my mentality. So once I had Rob's number, then I was like, all right, I'm going to get this job. So then I just moved there. And then once I moved there, I called him up and kind of said, Hey, I, I moved, I spent all this money and I moved here. Cause I want to, you know, I kind of put him on the spot. So then he met me for lunch and hired me. So anyways, um, the reason I mentioned that is because I still find that. Ex- and then, like I said, w- uh, when March 13th, Friday the 13th came along and the lockdowns happened in 2020, that's when I realized, Oh, okay. I've been fooled. Q, 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 Q totally. And I, and I'm, I agree with you, but I still, I mean, that makes me think I have some type of conditioning in my past. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe life is just like that. Like I said, we're living in some type of, uh, you know, life is not what we think it is, but it's just seems strange to me that I caught on to that and it led me to where, I, where I am today. And I, I've never had a more meaningful part of my life than the past few years. So I have no regrets. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. I'm still searching for, searching for the truth. I'm still getting fooled as recently as 2020. Um, I was the last time I realized, oh, okay, I'm still being fooled. So I, I'm, I'm, that's one of the reasons I have trouble trusting anything because I know how easy it is. I mean, I'm kind of the profane, so I understand my weaknesses there, right? So um, well, that's exactly why I embarked on this mission that took many years to achieve because I didn't want to be a profane. I didn't want to be fooled anymore. I wanted to right. go directly to the source of information so I could be ahead of the curve and know what's going to happen. And that's why you know, I'm talking to you right now. And this is why I've talked to other people you know, on YouTube channels and Rumble channels. And 
I'm just trying to get this information that I learned in these Masonic book studies and these Masonic rituals. I'm trying to get the information out to the people. Uh, they actually do have an agenda. They actually do have a plan. And this is why Ukraine is heating up at a very alarming level. This is why now, out of any time in history, we have people disclosing this. Oh, there's UFO no, I don't think there's phenomenon. a doubt anymore. I mean, I think, I, I think that's the thing. I think your average person, even the prof, you know, <laughs> Once I start using a word, I tend to overuse it. But that's that's why all the profane are now paying attention. You know, it's like now the show is on center stage. Everyone sees it's happening. Yes. Now let me back up because uh, I wasn't sure if you were saying this, but it sounded like you were saying that you were told by these people that Trump is um, is a good guy, like he's actually trying to fight against this. Or maybe I got that wrong. Yeah, he's actually trying to you know put a stand up to this ultimate Zionist you know. And keep in mind, everything in masonry is Zionism to the core. You're like, if you if you read the Protocols of Zion, they make a very strong point because this you know publication was in 1903, I believe. How this whole the Illuminati itself is all Zionism. The masonry, the Masonic lodge is all Zionism. So basically, Trump is you know trying to fight this Zionistic uh, money cabal. And he created Space Force to actually give the most powerful nation in the world an actual structured branch of the military that is dedicated to the space. So Space Force is actually like a counter move to their coming agenda of how they're going to install this Antichrist. And it's really sad and unfortunate how they're going after Trump so hard right now, and they're trying to do everything he can they can to keep him out of office because they know, and this is what we were told that if does if Trump does get his second term in office, that he will disclose to the world why he made Space Force. And along with this Space Force disclosure comes a lot of alarming knowledge how you know the the real underlying truth of Operation Paperclip and how there's you know there's actually a you know, this surviving Nazi group in Antarctica and New Schwabenland, they call it, and how Space Force is basically um, a counter move to this um, coming deception with this false alien invasion to install this Zionist antichrist to, to have this Zionist global government called the New World Order. So what we were told is that Space Force is is a resistance movement towards this, but ever since he created and now that he's out of office, it's been fully infiltrated and taken over by the Zionist cabal. And if he doesn't get his second term, you know, this time around, you know, this is his last shot at getting his second term. So if he doesn't get it, they're going to take Space Force and just flip it in to their globalist plan. They're going to use the Space Force for this Operation Majority. And I think it's really interesting how he married off his daughter, Ivanka, to the Kushner family. And the Kushner family, who's maybe three times richer than the Trump family, like this is the same family that purchased that building on 666 on Fifth Avenue in New York. And in that building, that's the headquarters for Lucent Technologies. And Lucent Technologies is the company which is making the human implantable money RFID chip for the coming digital currency. How do you spell that, Lucent? Um, L-U-C- news to me. I, I can't believe I haven't heard that. L-U-C-E-N-T? Yeah, Lucent Technologies. Um, what do you think? Do you think that's true? Do you think Trump's a good guy? 
I think he's in on it, but trying to do some good at the same time. I mean, it seems like they're all, it seems like what we're talking about is like Harry Potter. It sounds, it seems like there's a world of uh, wizards and warlocks fighting against each other for power. Yeah, I believe that Trump is in on it, but he's actually trying to do some good at the same time and not fully, you know, leave his fellow human out to dry. I believe that's the oldest story in the book, right? Like, uh, for example, the Sumerian texts talk about the two brothers, Enlil and Enki, and they're both, yeah, yeah, they're both, uh, they're both like our slave owners, but one of them kind of loves us and and the other one just wants to you know rule with an iron fist yeah exactly and lil wanted to give us some choice and anki wanted to rule with an iron fist and i believe trump is fully in on it and i just think that he has just like you said just a touch of humanity to him and i just don't want i believe that trump is an elite who doesn't want to be fully you know, in the darkness, I believe he does have a, a touch of love for his fellow American. So are we their yeah. crop? <laughs> well, if you read the space force disclosure, which in the Masonic book studies, we went over many, many times. And this is a book series by Dr. Michael Sala. He took, you know, the, through the freedom of information act, he took all the documents from the CIA blackbolt.gov's website and compiled it into a book series. And according to the space force disclosure, when Dwight D Eisenhower made a deal with these aliens, which we know as the Griotta treaty, the Griotta treaty was a trade for children, for children's adrenochrome. They would trade our children we would give them our children in exchange for technology. And ever since that deal happened, we've gotten nanotechnology. When um, was this? I'm sorry. When was this deal made? Um, in the early fifties. Okay. I've heard space, of that. So this is like, this is like when the gray aliens started scooping people up and. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And ever since the Scriata treaty from Dwight D Eisenhower, which he warned as the, you know, the military industrial complex his final warning through this deal he made, I believe it was at Edwards Air Force Base in 1954, sometime in the early 50s, this Griotta Treaty was a deal to trade our children in exchange for technology. So this is how we got nanomite technology. This is how we got fiber optics for our current day internet. This is how we got the what skins think, that we put on. What do you think going Phoenix. on with the... The buy uh, the nanotech and the vaccines. Uh, no one's talking about that. Everyone's talking about mRNA. It seems to me at this point it's clearly nanotech. Um, what do you think that's all about? Is that well? I actually did a, a mini documentary series with this um, person on YouTube. Um, he calls his ch- channel the Donut Factory, and we did a half an hour documentary on it that I'd like to send you. He took it off his main channel. Because he said it got him flagged and demonetized for a little bit. and But yeah, I actually went into a great detail in this mini documentary on how the nanomite technology actually fits perfectly with a prophecy. And it has to do with the prophecy of uh, the book of Daniel 2.43 and how, you know, we have the 10 toes which are represented in the statue of Daniel. The 10 toes represent the 10 economic sectors of the new world order. 
but the um the iron and the clay is the combination of iron of nanotechnology in the clay which is our bodies and it will not cleave together yeah i've heard yeah. this from samuel on vior i don't know if you're familiar with him no i'm um, not he's the he's a colombian guy uh he was alive during like uh shivananda's time they were friends he was the founder of the modern Gnostic church. And basically the modern Gnostic church was just a, they studied Christianity, they studied the Bible, they studied Tibetan Buddhism, the Torah, um, very similar to Freemason basic stuff, but it was uh, open in South American. But anyways, he's got a, one of the rare recordings of him is he's talking about the fall of Atlantis. And that's exactly, he basically quoted what you just said about about how the spirit will not cleave to iron or something like that. And that's what they, he says, that's what happened in Atlantis is that they were trying to create, uh, well, basically what you were just saying, they were trying to like put a spirit into, into iron. And that's what eventually had the downfall. I don't know exactly well, yeah, what if that you means. Read, but... um, if you read the, um, the main text for the Theosophical Society by Helena Blavatsky called The Secret Doctrine, she goes into great detail of Atlantis, of how the reason why Atlantis fell, it was based, it was a war between wizards, between the Aryan wizards and the Hebrew Semitic wizards. And at that time when Atlantis fell, they had these, uh, what we would call, um, well, basic name would be robots, but... Um, what we they're, they're like these humanoids that look human, but they're all robotic on the inside. Um, and through this uh, robot that a lot of people, only the elite had in the time of Atlantis, these were infused with the spirits of, uh, of demons, what we know as demons as today. And with these demons infused with these robots, she went into great detail in the secret doctrine, how, with these robots, these demonic spirits summoned up through occult rituals, instead of possessing a human body, they were able to go into these robots, these droids, and possess them instead and actually give them a vessel. So in the time of Atlantis, she went into great detail how they built these droids and these robotic bodies specifically to house these demonic entities and these demonic spirits. And then Atlantis ended in cataclysm. I mentioned cataclysm in my email. Cataclysm is the only thing in my mind that kind of explains everything that's going on. I think I think they happen regularly. I think they're trying to get ready to go underground again. I think the nanotech and the bodies could be a way of trying to um, create something that could survive through this and that they could possess, just like you're saying. They're using us as test subjects. I mean, I'm like, I'm just trying to figure things out. Have you heard anything from these folks or in your studies and research? I'm sure you have, but what are your thoughts on that, on the, on the cataclysm, on a cyclic, you know, it seems to me like, okay, the Kali Yugas, it seems to me like the great year, you know, for a while, it seemed like it happened, you know, on twice in the great year, like every 12,800 years, roughly. That seems to be kind of what the historical record sh sh showing, but a lot of the research I've been getting into lately, for example, the anomalies of the 1700s and the 1800s, the orphan trains, the Freemasons shipping the hundreds of thousands of orphans that it seems like they were giving birth to in these orphan asylums uh, with the daughters of Rebecca and the odd fellows. Uh -huh. It just seems like there's um, almost like a regular cataclysmic event that happens and then a repopulation of their crop. 
what can well, do you what does that mean to you well what we were told very specifically in these masonic book studies this whole new world order on an occultic sense is the resurrection of atlantis and ever since the time of atlantis you know they tried it with two volcane to take over the world that failed. Then they tried it again with Nimrod, their second antichrist of the Tower of Babel. That failed. Now this third time around, this is their third installment of trying to get the global government and the resurrection of the original global government of Atlantis. So you're absolutely right. Like what you were saying earlier, how this new world order relates to Atlantis, that is bar none, like one of the most... They take things that we were we were told in these book studies how the new world order is the resurrection of Atlantis. And in a Space Force uh, disclosure sense, they also made it very clear how the alien takeover and the new world order are one and the same. So with this alien invasion, which they called Operation Majority, this alien invasion, this alien takeover of the world is going to be an updated version of how they achieve their new world order to achieve the ancient, you know, goal of the resurrection of the empire of Atlantis. And this is a story. I mean, we're talking about Atlantis, but this story has been told several ways. Like I believe the King Arthur legend is, is basically kind of telling the same thing and it's all been sort of coded into our history well, also keep in mind in the Hindu mythology, if you read the Hindu religious books, you know, the legend of Atlantis and Lemuria are just common knowledge in the Hindu in the yeah. Hindu history books. Like if you read the Vishnu Purana, you'll realize how Vishnu with his um, incarnate of Krishna came from the hollow earth because they want to escape the destruction of Atlantis and Lemuria. So when you read into the in, the, the Hindu texts and the ancient Hindu historic books, you'll realize how, you know, Lemuria and Atlantis were are basically just common knowledge in this yeah. Hindu belief system and the hollow earth was their hideout and to this day there's these ascended masters who are led by Sanat Kumra down on the um, throne of Shambhala in the land of Agartha into the hollow earth beneath us. And if you read the secret doctrine, you know, this is the book that Hitler had bedside on his nightstand. It wasn't Mein Kampf that that was just a textbook that he gave to the people to have so they could have a piece of literature to believe in of what his whole ideology was to go against this Zionist global banking system. But the book that really inspired the Nazi, you know, philosophy and ideology and what they truly believed in was this book, The Secret Doctrine. Because in this book, The Secret Doctrine, it tells about the Aryan race and how their descendants are still alive over in Tibet. And it's oh yeah, no, they were they went out to find them. I mean, they were digging exactly and, and they claim that they were communicating with them. Exactly. And this is why the Nazi faction in 1933 went over to Tibet and adopted the yeah. swastika and went over there and were let in. And the Vimanas. Yeah. And, and, the, and the and the Nazi bell. Let me ask you this really quick. This is this is the best, uh, I don't want to, n- nothing against anyone else I've talked to on the show, but this is the most fascinating conversation I've had on my podcast so far. So this is great. Um, okay. So... What do you think about this? Uh, my research shows me that the heliocentric model does not add up. For example, there's no visual curvature. Um, that's been known for centuries. No one disputes that there's no measurable curvature. 
no scientist does. They just explain it by saying it's a it's a trick of light. It's a it's a light is playing a trick on your eyes, and you just can't. It doesn't make sense. There's no explanation for it. It seems to me, um, you know, and it, and I don't believe that the Bible is fact, but the Bible does describe um, that we're living inside of a sphere on a flat surface, just like the Kabbalah says we're living inside of a sphere, inside of Malkuth. And the hollow earth would be the underworld, the underground underneath. And uh, space would be something like the oceans or the waters above. Um, so there is some kind of space. There is there is an outer world where these other creatures could come from. They could also come from the underworld. I could go on and on and on about it. What, are, what did you learn? What do these uh, high-level Freemasons believe about the earth as far as the heliocentric model or the geocentric model? In the Masonic book teachings and the Masonic required reading, they were very prevalent on their model of the earth, which is around in the shape of an egg. They made that very clear how their Masonic occult belief system believes the earth to be not just a round ball, but also like round, but in the shape of an egg. Because if you get into occult mythology reading, they talk about you know, the egg a lot. And they have a lot of, you know, paintings and pictures of this snake going around the egg. Yeah. And they call it the, yeah. And they call it the egg because they claim that all Masonic knowledge came from the hollow earth from the land of Agartha and the temple of Shambhala from underneath. And they refer that a lot to the book of Enoch when the angel Uriel in the book of Enoch took him into the middle of the earth. And they also relate to the hollow earth a lot to the Vishnu Purana and the Hindu teachings of the Tibetan monks. And they also relate the hollow earth a lot to Helena Blavatsky's work in the secret doctrine. This sounds and, like what I'm saying. Like, like the problem with the, the term flat earth is that, and I, and I understand it, it automatically puts an image in someone's head of a, of a flat shape. Whereas my research shows me that it is like you're saying an egg. And like I said, once again, we're inside of it on a, we're not on the we're not on a curved surface and we're not spinning a thousand miles an hour. At least there's no explanation. If we are, there's no explanation other than magic as to the why that is. So it sounds to me like what you're describing is like when you say hollow earth, same thing. Like um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Uh, but that is very interesting that that's what they teach. And uh the snake wrapping around the egg and everything. Yeah, they look at the world as an egg because, you know, it's not completely round. It's like a rectangular round. And um, there is a, you know, a scent, um, there is an open space underneath the crust of the surface. And the Masons really made it a strong point how, you know, before the Empire of Atlantis, there was, you know, Shambhala. And the surviving texts of the Emerald Tablet that came from Atlantis to Egypt was a direct knowledge text from the land of um, Shambhala and the land of Agartha. And the Masons really, really believe that um, along with the Space Force disclosure that came out recently in 2017, how the Nazis searched for Hollow Earth down in Antarctica. Yeah. And um, that teaching that you know, with a search for the land of the Vril Society. The Vril is the same thing of what the Masons call the force. It's just a different word. And how the Nazis went down to Antarctica to search for this hollow earth that was talked about so much of the secret doctrine. And 
the knowledge of the secret doctrine, Helena Babatsky, how she made her pilgrimage over to Nepal and Tibet and to Pakistan and to India. And she went around the world gathering all these occultic texts. And the Nazis truly believed that the real society was in the hollow earth and how we always hear of extraterrestrials, but we never hear of inner terrestrials. And they strongly believed in the inner terrestrial. Yeah, well, I would say, yeah, I, I, I think that the whole um, part of the fake alien invasion is to reintroduce these creatures that were once on the surface ruling over us back in the day and became very unpopular and have, and have been forced to hide underground. And this uh, whole, you know, alien UFO story, you know, which is being sold to us as if it's some kind of modern new thing uh, is just a way to sort of rewrite the story so that they can eventually reintroduce these characters so they could come back up out of hiding and sit on their thrones again. Well, I think it's very interesting how a colleague of mine who is a he's the director for the country of South Korea for MUFON, the mutual UFO network. His um, name is Joseph Jordan, who's a really good colleague of mine. And he found through his MUFON research and his um, debriefing of people's experience with these alien abductions, how for about 70 years, MUFON claimed that there's no way to escape these um, abduction experiences. Then he found people who actually escaped them calling out in a panic the name of Christ or saying the Lord's Prayer, anything biblical, the abduction experience stopped. And he brought this information to MUFON and they told him, you know, with that knowledge, we need to go off the record and we're going to go off the record because scientifically we didn't know what to make of it. And number two, we didn't bring it forward because we didn't want it to lose. We didn't want to lose our credibility in the scientific realm. Well, the same so. thing is the same thing is repeated in um, night terrors. People that experience a movie called the nightmare. It's a great documentary about people that have, I believe it's called night terrors. And I've talked every time I tell this story, half the people tell me, Oh, that, that used to happen to me. And it's it's almost identical to the alien abduction experience, um, but it, it happens in people's bedrooms at night. And yeah, sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, yeah. exactly. Yes, and the same, exactly. And the same thing at the end of the documentary, the majority of these people interviewed said they started using the name Christ or Jesus, or or anything, and, yeah. and it stopped, and it never repeated after that. Very exactly, and that's what um, Joseph Jordan, my colleague from MUFON, discovered. How MUFON, the organization, organization itself, was covering up this very valid piece of information. They he found a cover up within MUFON, and MUFON always, you know, claimed, "Oh, the government's covering up this and that." But he found a cover up within MUFON. How they've known about this for a long time. How you can escape these abduction experiences by calling out the name of Christ and the Lord's prayer or anything that has to do with the Bible. And I found that very interesting because when he told me that, that just took me back to the verse of Luke 10, 17, when the 70 returned to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, these demons are fleeing from us when we say your name. And this is the one time in all the Bible or in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Apocrypha and the Nagamati where Jesus describes the demons and actually gives them a manifestation he goes yes i give you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and when we break that down with what we know today serpent scorpion reptile insectoid yes yeah. the same thing that we know as aliens today 
And that made me realize that even back in that day, that these reptilians and these insectoid aliens have been around even in the time of Christ. Because I also remember in the book of Deuteronomy, how when the Jews were being let out of Egypt and through the desert, and they were complaining how they wanted to go back to Egypt. And the Lord was telling them, like, didn't I save you from all the fiery serpents and scorpions? You know, he relayed you know, these entities, these demonic entities, which the book of Jude calls wandering stars, like he relates to them again as serpents and scorpions. And I think it's really interesting how in the Bible, like every time they talk about demons, whether they call them serpents or scorpions or wandering stars, like we can relate that to the flying orbs we see in the sky and the alien manifestations that people claim what they saw during these abduction experiences. And that was another thing that I learned through my Masonic studies that they don't think of these things as angels and demons. They refer to them as alien factions, just having an ancient war beyond our comprehended timeline more, you know, way more ancient than we could ever comprehend how, this eternal battle between good and evil is basically these two alien factions coming together out in deep space and just fighting over property and which solar system they get to control and how Jesus is an ancient humanoid of a Pleiadian and how Lucifer was a Pleiadian who recruited these Orion factions of these, these grays and these reptilians and these. I've heard Jesus is a Pleiadian. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, everything that I was, you know, everything that I read in the Space Force disclosure, trying to keep up with these Masonic book studies, it makes perfect sense because if I read the Bible now with that lens over my eyes, instead of looking at it as angels and demons, and instead of looking at it of ancient, you know, peoples trying to describe alien technology, it makes perfect sense to me. So I really um I'm grateful for the fact that the Masons put that UFO alien lens over my eyes when I read these ancient texts. So I'm not looking at it as angels and demons. I'm looking at it as, you know, ancient humanoids yeah. and these alien factions because it just makes perfect sense how I agree. people 2000 years ago, they're like, oh, it's a... It's a pillar of fire, right. and wheels within wheels, and it was a wandering star. And everything they're describing, it's like, yeah, today, you know, we would call that UFOs and aliens. And I like it how Aleister Crowley said, like, in the old times, they called it demons, but in these times, they're going to call it something else. And we actually, you know, have a name for that, which is aliens. Alien. So, yeah, I just think it's... Um, and I did an interview on Coast to Coast um, a few years back of how I made the connection between satanic ritual abuse and alien abduction. And that was a great interview for me for with George Norrie of how, um, and I was working a lot with Joseph Jordan during that time. He really helped me out with that presentation of how the similarities between satanic ritual abuse almost mirror and almost if not exactly the same as alien abduction of how they take you against your will, they lay you on a table slab or, you know, a place of, you know, working. They do all these things to you, which cause a lot of pain and suffering. And a lot of the times, even most of the times, you know, sexual molestation is involved. And after these experiences happen with this sexual molestation and all this pain, 
the survivors of these two events, whether it be SRA or alien abduction, they suffer the same things, whether it be alcoholism, destroyed family life, destroyed relations. Or they it's, become a monster and join their club. You know? Or, you know, they get in, yeah, or they get into these, you know, yeah. you know, occultic I mean. groups or these, you know, these Raelian societies. You know, I had an experience like, when I was five. I've talked about it before. I wrote about it in my book, but um, I was, uh, my family was up in Toronto to watch my uncle graduate as a Jesuit. And the Jesuits invited me to spend the night while my family was uh, all in the hotel. And, uh, for whatever effed up reason, they were like, yeah, sure. And, um, I, my memory, it was a lost memory that I didn't recover until I was 36. And, uh, I, I don't remember anything sexual. It was more like an initiation. It was more like there were or more than an initiation. It was like an audition. They put a knife in my hand and they were trying to see if I would stick a knife in someone laying on a table. And when I didn't do it, I pretended I did it. I guess because I was five years old and I didn't want to disappoint these people. <laughs> uh, but when I didn't do it, the room was full of like this horrible, like disappointment. Like they were just disgusted with me, you know? And, um, but it was enough of an experience to where, and I remember in therapy, the, I had one therapist uh, point something out that we recovered where she said, I think they drugged you and they, they might've drugged me. Um, but um, whatever the, the result of it was, I, went on all of years of self-destruction of um, sexual promiscuity, drug abuse, uh, suicidal tendencies, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, that I healed myself from. Um, but very strange. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. The only thing that I could think is that there was some type of audition. They wanted to see if I was a psychopath or something. I don't know. Another screening process. A screening process. But what it did do is from that young age, even though I forgot the memory, I, I had a very, very strong distrust for beyond distrust. Like I knew in my heart that the government was lying, that the religions were lying. I knew that everyone was lying to me. And so that's kind of what put me on the path I'm on today of, of, you know, seeking answers and trying to find the truth. I've heard a lot of this information before, uh, but um I, it I just ties of, everything else together right? yeah especially today exactly. like you know like yes. we're living this stuff and it's all exactly. coming out right now mm -hmm. and i'm convinced you know i think i told you in the email like um and i said in the beginning of the conversation like i went back and forth when i first learned about freemasons i was like oh those are the bad guys and then oh maybe they're not but lately well i guess i was a little wrong i guess the freemasonry is just the entry level of this of this uh war of the witches and warlocks <laughs> yes it absolutely is it's basically um the the ground level of all the cultism because freemasonry is like the ground level for all the cultism and you know at the at the bottom of this pyramid which is this pyramid control of the occult with the atop you know being the illuminati in the council of 13 then the council of 300 you know freemasonry is the foundational cornerstone this is why i i don't think it's any coincidence how masonry's you know most prolific ritual is the cornerstone ritual to lay that first stone yeah whether it be the the United States Capitol or the United States White House, you know, I think it's um very symbolic of how Masonry is the foundational cornerstone for all these all all these other secret societies. I also think that relates to like it makes sense to me as well. I, I always relate things to the cataclysm, right? 
Right. But it seems to me like the cataclysm is sort of uh it's sort of like the built-in part of this system that that stops their agenda, you know, because their whole agenda is building something. It's about building this this society for for this crop, <laughs> you know, the profane that they have or the way they see it. And the only thing that gets in the way is the cataclysm. It sort of breaks everything up. And so their biggest goal, their big the most important thing to them is to rebuild, you know, to, uh, to build back better, you know, uh, that's their whole thing. Like where the antithesis of that would be for us to sort of live more in harmony with nature, you know, in, in, in right. families and communities and, and governing ourselves instead of, you know, these giant temples and castles and. Well, these and, giant temples and castles are basically their spiritual hub for vibrational worship, you know, all worship, if you go into the cymatic level of it, worship is all vibration, and they need those temples to actually put up a central hub point to reflect over the global ley line so they can enter. You know, what's really interesting about that is I was um I was building a temple in California for Tarthang Tulku. He's a Tibetan Lama. He he was he was in Tibet when they when they blew up the temples. He was a young Lama at the time. And now he's in California um, building temples. And I was there, I think it's called Odeon in Sonoma County. I went there back in 2005 as a volunteer. I was there for three months. It was an incredible experience. I, I was able to weld bronze for three months. I was welding bronze statues uh -huh. and, and, and it was it was an incredible experience. The whole time I was there, I was arguing, arguing with them though, because they were like working us like slaves and I was like bitching and moaning <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. And uh, one of the things they told me because I remember they were like, they pulled me aside once and they're like, why aren't, you know, I wasn't really being a, I was working my ass off, but I was, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like with the program and they kind of knew that. And so they asked me what the problem was. And I was like, well, look, we're building this temple and no one's going to come see it. You know, I, like I learned that, that the, the, these temples were sort of private. They weren't going to be open. I assumed it was like Buddhists in California could come and, and, you know, do their thing there. And then, so I was like, so what are we doing this for? It seems pointless. And then the answer I was given was that they said, they, the, 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 the Lama didn't tell me this, but the, the, his people did. They said, well, the Lama believes that, that just by building this temple, just by this temple existing is going to energetically heal the earth. Just like you were saying on a ley line. And they're like, it doesn't matter. It's not about having people come visit it. It's just about the very existence of it so if they need to worship in that place to send out an energetic signal over the earth grid of relay lines yeah they can do it yeah very Absolutely. interesting stuff well hey i really appreciate it i want to keep in touch with you where can people find your work or do you have anything that people can come they find? deleted everything from me i had a 14 year old page called the Abraham project when I would post all the memes, books, interviews, and lectures of pretty much everything that I was talking about, you know, today. And yeah, after, uh, <laughs> it was after the lockdown when they started really axing everything of mine. And before that I was posting everything. I po I was posting the four holy books and what they meant Everything that I told you today, I was putting on my Facebook, my Twitter, and my Instagram. But lo and behold, you know, once you start, just like I said earlier, when you cross a threshold of knowledge, 
you know, they don't want people to know about it. So they took down and deleted my Facebook, my Twitter and my Instagram. So I have no social media anymore. Um, I guess you can have people reach out through the email and the cell phone number I gave you. Like, since I don't have any social media, like I'm always willing to take an email or a phone call for anyone who wants to do another interview with me or know anything about this. Cause yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just, would you um, like it if I, if I put that in the post to your name and email for people to contact, is that okay? Sure. You all can, right. Yeah. Do that at all. Like do anything you want. Yeah, I'll put links to your father's books in there and I'll probably put links to uh, bloodlines, the Illuminati, Fritz Springmeyer's book and stuff like that. This will be a fun. Yeah. My, you know, my whole dream of this knowledge is you know you putting it together like i know you have those reese reports that well you put i would up. love to do one on this uh this is uh too much for a five minute one but um maybe not i don't know i mean that is my gift is is compressing things but i believe you can make this into a five to ten minute video like i really i believe that if we really condensed all this information and just focused on the infiltration, what I learned, the four holy books, what it means. Yeah, you're right. No, I can, I can see it. I can actually see it. Yeah. I can definitely be under eight minutes actually. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that if we just focus on the main points, what we talked about today, I think this would make a fantastic Reese report, you know, to open up and tell people, you know, son of Larry Abraham, you know, we see this book every day on the American journal on the bookshelf. And I sent you those pictures of Alex holding the book. This is the book that woke me up and then Owen holding, you know, this is a book that's very been very revered by Infowars over the time. But yeah, I think this would make an amazing video to tell the people that there is someone out there, you know, that actually did infiltrate this brotherhood who saw the four holy books and was told about the Masonic force and the Masonic plan for their operation majority and how they plan to actually install this new world order and antichrist. I think it'd make a fantastic video.